I mean, it's not summertime, but we are going to have plus temperatures on this leap day, February 29th. Good morning. Thanks so much for, for joining us. It's as much as today is an anomaly, it's the grayed out day on your calendar. As much as it's an anomaly that way, the weather is as well. So we can expect fairly nice weather, although I think the wind is going to be picking up this afternoon for a lot of the province. So probably won't feel quite as warm as it actually is. But hey, plus temperatures at the end of February in Saskatchewan, we are absolutely going to take it. All right, we got a great show lined up for you today. Quite the council meeting in Saskatoon yesterday. Big topic, of course, emergency shelters, heavy debate, community members frustrated they were there, discussion on a minimum distance that future shelters could be away from schools. Here to help us decipher those discussions and decisions, City Council Member Zach Jeffries will join us this morning. Also, we keep hearing about how Saskatchewan produces some of the cleanest fossil fuel energy in the world. Today we have a guest joining us who works with a team solely focused on doing just that. The CEO of the Petroleum Technology Research Center will be joining me a little bit later this morning. And because it's leap year today, February 29th, one extra day, which happens every four years, we're going to flip the norm. A lot of people do that on this day. They do the opposite of what they normally would do. So we're going to open the air and the questions for you to ask me. Have you got a question for me? Put me on the hot seat. That's today at 1030. Time now for the Big Talker. Let's get out of it, Michelle. Welcome. Let's begin. The Evan Bray Show. The Big Talker. Well, the inquest into the death of Miles Sanderson continues in Saskatoon. Yesterday was day three, and senior reporter Lara Fominoff has been there each and every day. Following along, if you follow Lara on Twitter, you know that she's been doing a great job of like minute-by-minute updates as to what the testimony has been. And then every morning we get Lara to start our day off here with a bit of a recap of what happened the day before. And Lara joins us on the phone once again this morning. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Evan. So yesterday, more testimony from police officers that were involved in the chase to stop Miles in that stolen Chevy Avalanche. That's right. We heard from five witnesses yesterday, three officers, two of whom were the arresting officers, another RCMP officer who uh, had a medical background, a paramedic background, who administered uh, help to medical aid to uh, Miles Sanderson before paramedics actually arrived. Then we heard from two advanced care paramedics, one from Ottawa and one from Rostern, who uh, were in the ambulance with Miles Sanderson on the way to Royal University Hospital. So as you were describing, and I was following along on X, as you were describing the testimony, the officers, once they got that Chevy Avalanche off the road into the ditch and stopped, I mean, rightfully so, they were tentative in walking right up or running right up to the vehicle, not knowing and and probably expecting to see a weapon. Absolutely. So the first uh, RCMP officer who testified was Constable Rowley from the uh, Rostern Detachment. And uh, he said as they were going down the highway, they were going at speeds of 167 kilometers an hour when the Chevy Avalanche was stopped and it was um, in the grassy area ditch on the side of the highway. He was the officer who actually pulled open the door um, 
to get Miles Sanderson out of the vehicle because he wasn't leaving. So uh, as he pulled open the door, he testified that he saw uh, Sanderson's hands going from his waist area up to his um, head area several times. Didn't know exactly what he was doing, but he waited until a fourth time and then grabbed his arm as he opened the door and left arm and pulled him right out along with another officer. He said at that time, he was expecting that there was going to be a shootout. His, he actually said, you know, he thought Sanderson was going to finish some unfinished business. Um, he said uh, Sanderson appeared uh, cocky, arrogant, and smug. And, uh, you know, a short time later, though, Sanderson sort of leaned back against him and uh, began uh, going into medical distress, sort of uh, seizing and the blood coming in from his nose and mouth and, and so forth. And that's when uh, medical help uh, began. Um, the other op- another officer was uh, from the Warman Detachment. He was the one who had about five years of experience with Regina uh, paramedics, and that was I believe that was Constable Nave, and he was an officer who uh, actually placed a spike belt across the highway in anticipation of the avalanche going heading further south along Highway 11. When that didn't happen, he got to the area where Sanderson was on the ground. He began compressions on uh, Miles Sanderson. Um, he also uh, administered two doses of naloxone. He said, you know, he was wondering how come this naloxone is not working on him. And uh, he thought, well, I wonder if this must have been something else that had happened to him. Um, but, you know, he was very grateful when paramedics finally arrived. So uh, we're talking with senior reporter Lara Fominoff. A couple of things just to kind of go back and, and break it down a little bit more. What door did the officers open on the avalanche and and help us understand they said they could only see his his legs so how was he laying in the vehicle they opened the driver's side door um and what happened was when the avalanche came to a stop it kind of it sort of hit a bit of um a bump on this on the side of the road where there was um some some grass and a slight hill and such and the airbag had deployed so, um, you know, there was a bit of an impact for Miles Sanderson, but he was still moving. Um, his, you know, but they couldn't see the upper part of his body because the airbag was in the way. Um, and, you know, they were issuing commands for him to get out of the vehicle and he was, he just wasn't moving. So it was a good, uh, from the video that I watched, probably a good 10 to 15 seconds at least before officers, you know, they went, uh, Constable Rowley went to the door and sort of, the driver's side door and and quickly pulled it open and, you know, was there for a second and then grabbed his left arm, pulled him out. Another officer grabbed Sanderson's right arm and then they put him to the ground. So, and you also uh, gave us an idea of testimony about his, his hands going up to his face, back down to his waist. We're probably led to assume he was ingesting something at that time. Yeah, that was the, um, at the time it was occurring, the officers didn't realize what was happening. They, they, um, later found, you know, a, a white, a bag, a small bag with the, the corner cut off and some white powder in it and a rolled up $20 bill. Um, they, and they put that into a black glove to use, you know, that for, for evidence to figure out what it was. They thought at the time it could have been maybe fentanyl. So they're extraordinarily careful about, what uh, Sanderson may have been ingesting. Um, later, of course, they found out that he had um, taken a massive quantity of cocaine, you know, the, the highest, you know, concentration that had ever been seen by the toxicologist who tested his blood um, more than 10 times the normal fatal dose. 
so and that's why the naloxone was not working because it doesn't work against a cocaine overdose and uh, then when he was loaded taken into a stretcher into the advanced care um, ambulance from Rostern um, he was actually flatlining so he'd been shocked by um, the RCMP officer who was helping the paramedics um, and he, his um, they had given him a dose of adrenaline to try and get his heart going again but he couldn't feel a pulse and by the, when they got him into the ambulance, um, he was given six doses, they said, of epinephrine to try and uh, get the heart into a shockable rhythm. He was just, there was just no rhythm there at all. And there was, you know, he was intubated. He um, had uh, IVs for the epinephrine into his, um, into his arms. He had uh, electrocardiogram, like the, the notes they put on your chest when they, measure your, when they measure your heartbeats and so forth. So the entire time that they were taking him to the hospital, someone was doing chest compressions on him. He was hooked up to a heart monitor, but there was just no electrical activity, even though they'd been giving him this uh, epinephrine to try and restart his heart. Senior reporter Lara Fominoff on the inquest into the death of Miles Sanderson. Day three was yesterday. Um, w- with the naloxone, of course, they once they realize he's going into some sort of medical distress, there's an assumption that it's drug-related, uh, and, and as a result, assumption that it's likely fentanyl-related, thus the naloxone. He had a bleeding nose, though, as a result of some of the symptoms he was displaying. Was it the spray they were using, or was it a needle that they gave him? That uh, they didn't specify whether it was an, actually a needle or uh, or the spray, but according to the testimony from the pathologist and from the toxicologist, because he had ingested such um, uh, a high amount of cocaine um, that you know his his body sort of almost flooded. Um, his heart began to beat so rapidly and so erratically that um, it sort of it cut off you know, uh, circulation to his other organs, and he couldn't breathe properly. Um, he also had uh, a, a, um, advanced coronary artery disease. So what his left ventricle from his heart was 80 to 90% blocked. Um, so that combined with the cocaine sort of flooded his organs, and he wasn't able to breathe properly. And that's why the blood and the foam had come, his, his lungs filled with fluid, and that's why the froth uh, and the blood from his mouth and, and coming from his nose. You know, a question that was actually texted in yesterday from a listener that I thought was a really good question I didn't have the answer to is most Chevy vehicles have OnStar and the ability to actually disable the vehicle through OnStar. Was that something that was ever talked about through the testimony? That was not talked about, nor was it brought up at a testimony at all. Um, no, there's Eddie Head. He's um, a representative from the James Smith Cree Nation. He represents the family. He has an opportunity after uh, each officer and or paramedic testifies to ask questions. He did ask several questions. You know, one of them, you know, how long does it take for the brain to die after the heart um, stops beating? He was told, you know, according to the research, around 10 minutes, there's irreversible brain damage. But that particular question was never brought up, and nobody has asked whether that OnStar um, was, you know, whether the Chevy was able to be disabled somehow, or if a call was made about that. That mm-hmm. has not been answered. Yeah, it's a, I, I mean, I felt like it was a good question. It's one that I know in my policing career we have used in the past, so it's, you know, something that I'm curious to follow up on, and, and if it doesn't come out through the inquest, it uh, might be a good question for me to ask uh, the assistant commissioner on. One other thing, when you were talking about Eddie and, and other people d- designated to ask questions, there was a lot of questions asked why the back doors of the avalanche weren't open. Why was that a question? 
Uh, that was a question because they thought perhaps, you know, maybe they could have saved miles or they could have seen more from the back um, of the, the avalanche as opposed to just opening the front door and seeing the, the, um, the airbag deployed and not being able to see his hands or his face or his head. Now, the officers said, well, we, we uh, you know, if we're going from the back, we can't see his hands. We can't see what he's doing with his hands. And we don't know if he has a weapon, if there's a gun, if there's a knife. They did eventually, they did find a knife in the vehicle, by the way. Um, um, so we can't see what he's doing with his hands. And our priority was to get him out of the driver's side and down as fast as possible. And that was the quickest way to do that. Lara Fominoff, our senior reporter who's covering the inquest into the death of Miles Sanderson. Day four today, possibly the last day. What's on the agenda? So this morning, we're going to start off with the emergency room doctor who declared death on Miles Sanderson. Um, That happened at Royal University Hospital. And so we'll find out a little bit more about his examination of uh, Sanderson, what state his body was in, what was what was happening. There's some pictures that were shown uh, to the jury, not to members of the public, about uh, with Sanderson um, at RUH sort of lying in a hospital bed uh, with tubes in him, with um, with his IVs in and so forth. Uh, so we'll hear from him. And then we're going to hear uh, from an RCMP doctor on the postmortem report. So if those two witnesses, who are the last two witnesses in this inquest, uh, are finished before noon, the uh, coroner, uh, Robert Kennedy, will charge the jury at that time. And then perhaps later on in the day, later this afternoon, we may get the jury back with uh, potential recommendations uh, going forward. It all depends on what happens and the length of time the testimony occurs. But it is, uh, from what I understand, expected to wrap up sometime today. Lara, we'll continue to follow you on X with your reporting throughout the day. And I hope you'll join us one more time tomorrow morning um, if the recommendations are out by then and we can recap not only the week, but what the recommendations are looking at going forward. Absolutely, Evan, anytime. Senior reporter Lara Fominoff, who has been following the inquest into the death of Miles Sanderson and has been joining us each and every day right here on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. 9th of February, also the last day that they have to scramble and put together the ice and everything they need to get ready for the briar, which is starting up in Regina tomorrow. We will be doing a check-in with them on day one tomorrow, which is a, a great event for the province for sure. Well, we've heard it said many times that Saskatchewan produces some of the cleanest oil and fossil fuel energy production anywhere in the world. We're going to dig into that, how it's done, the groundbreaking research, the innovation, and how the unique to Saskatchewan methods are being uncovered and used throughout the world. That conversation is coming up next on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.